We stand in the presence of God's word. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I'm taken from you. Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, You've asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. Then he picked up the mantle of Elijah and struck the water, and Elisha went over. This is the word of the Lord. You remember those dreaded names, Ahab and Jezebel. The strongest voice against the many abusive practices of Ahab and Jezebel, Elijah. Elijah was that strongest voice, one that Jezebel tried to silence again and again. The dogs will lick your blood out of the streets of Samaria, she said. Elijah kept on being God's man. And now today's lection begins by saying, Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven, three times he turns to Elisha and says to him, Stay here. God has told me to go on to Bethel. No, sir, I'm not leaving you. They got to Bethel, and Elijah said, Stay here. The Lord is telling me to go on to Jericho. No, sir, I'm not leaving you. And when they got to Jericho, Elijah said, Stay here. The Lord is telling me to go down to the Jordan River. And Elisha said, No, sir, I'm not leaving you. So Elijah took off his mantle, a loose outer cloak, rolled it up so that it resembles something like Moses' rod, struck the waters of the Jordan River, and they parted, and the two of them walked across on dry land. As Moses had done and Joshua had done, so Elijah could do. Now today's lecture. Elijah turned to Elisha and asked, What do you want from me? Why do you keep following me? What do you want from me? Three weeks ago, we stood at the pool of Bethesda or Bethzatha. Some scholars think it ought to be called a large, important pool in the heart of the old city when Jesus lived. A superstition had grown up that when the winds came from an opposite direction from the way they normally blew, surface of the water was trouble, first went in, got healed. There was a man who had been carried there daily for 38 years. Every time the water was trouble, somebody jumped in ahead of him. Jesus came by and asked him, Would you like to be well? I think that's an important question because you have to act differently when you're well. It's one way to act when you're sick. There are other ways to act if you're well. Sure you want to be well? What do you want from me, Elisha? I first started reading Dr. Eugene Peterson's writings nearly 40 years ago. He was a Presbyterian minister in Maryland. 
had been sent there by the presbytery to begin a new Presbyterian church. It had done really well. He was there more than 20 years. And then decided he wanted to teach, not be a pastor of a local church any longer. He decided he wanted to translate the Bible into words that he thought his Presbyterians in Maryland would have found meaningful and helpful to him. And so he did the Torah, he did the prophets, he did the wisdom literature, he did the New Testament. Each of his books called The Message. I found each one helpful, bought them one after the other. Even now, if I'm going to write a sermon any given week, I read Eugene Peterson's translation, The Message, along with the others that I'm reading, because I find him very helpful. Now he's getting along in years. He's Professor Emeritus at a college out in Vancouver, British Columbia, and has written a book, The Pastor, a Memoir. So one morning he was awakened by a telephone call far too early. He was going day and night trying to get that Presbyterian church in Maryland going. And a woman identified herself as a school teacher that one of his kids should have known at some point and saying, I've got a friend who needs help. Who is your friend and what kind of help does your friend need? And she said, my friend has just been discharged, released from Leavenworth Federal Prison in Kansas. He spent five years at Leavenworth for trafficking drugs out of Mexico into the United States. He's now on probation. He is allowed to work five days a week only if he'll come back to jail Friday and Saturday for drug tests, etc. She said last weekend he was back in jail, and he said in the middle of the night he was awakened by a strong pulsating light. He said he sat straight up in bed, and this light continued to pulsate for five minutes, and then it went out. He thinks maybe he's become a Christian, and I told him he needs to talk to you. And Eugene Peterson said, I asked, and how'd the drug test go? <laughs> and she sent the drug test, went fine. He hasn't done drugs since five years ago when he went to Leavenworth, he has not done any more drugs. He doesn't know much about the Bible, she said, but in prison he heard a story about a fellow named Saul who was struck from his mount on the way to a place called Damascus and met the Lord. And he thinks maybe he met him. Would you talk to him? He said, sure. And he said, when I sat down with Jackson and we talked... I tried to explain to him what I think it means to be a Christian. It's more than seeing a pulsating light. It's answering some really important questions. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? Do you believe that God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life? Do you believe that if you confess your sins to him from your deepest heart and believe with all your heart he will forgive you, he will? Will you then learn what it means to follow him by being baptized and becoming a part of a church where you worship regularly? And you go to classes that teach you what it means to be a follower of Jesus.
think I'm a Christian. How can you tell? What do you want from me? He asked. Number two, Elisha said, I want a double portion of your spirit. Now, I turn first to Rabbi Gunter Plout on this one this week. And Rabbi Gunter Plout says, Elisha is not asking to be twice as great as Elijah. He's not even asking to be as great as Elijah. He's using the language of a son. In the Bible, oldest son got a double portion of the inheritance because he also got mom and dad. So if you had five sons, then the oldest got two parts and the other fourth all got a fourth of what was left. Elisha is saying, I want to be your older son. I want to be your older son. I want people to know that that God has called me like God called you. I need you to show people that I'm the one. Eugene Peterson says he grew up in Kalispell, Montana. His father was not a preacher. He was a butcher. He said, every morning we had breakfast, and my father took out a clean white apron that had not only been washed, but ironed. And he put it on and went to work, and he wore it all day long. When he went across the street to the coffee shop to have coffee, he kept his white apron on. He ran that little butcher shop in downtown Kalispell, Montana. One day when I grew a little bit bigger, he asked me if I'd like to go to work with him. He and Mom had figured I'd say yes. She had already made me a white apron. Had starched it and ironed it and tied it around my waist. I went to work with my dad. I remember the day he taught me how to sharpen a knife. I remember how he said there's a proper way to do what we do. Some people just hack the pieces of meat. That's not the way. I'll teach you the right way. But he said the most important thing he taught me was how he treated all his customers. Everybody who walked in the door of that shop had a name, a proper Christian name. My father always called that name, treated that person with dignity and respect. In a little cow town like Kalispell, he said, when I got a little bit bigger, I heard there was a brothel just two blocks from my daddy's shop. And I would sort of hide with the other boys to see if I could get a look at some of the women who lived there. Then when I went to work with my daddy, I learned those women came to buy at his shop. And he called each one of them by her Christian name. Morning, Mary. How are you, Rebecca? He treated them with dignity and respect. And when they got their order filled and walked out, there was no snickering, no jokes. Often they would call my dad's shop and ask if their order could be delivered to them. I was the delivery boy, white apron on. I went down to deliver their order, and they treated me the same way my daddy treated them. 
They called me Eugene. Thank you, Eugene. You were so kind to get here so quickly. Thank you, Eugene. You're always so helpful. Thank you so very much. When I got a little bigger, I heard a story out of the Bible about a fellow named Samuel whose mother delivered him to an old man named Eli and said, this is God's man. He's going to take your place someday. I want you to teach him holy things. And every year she would bring him a little bit bigger ephod, an apron for working at the place of sacrifice. And one day I felt called to be a Presbyterian preacher. And I resolved the church ought to be something like that butcher shop. That Everybody who walked in the door should have a proper name and be treated with dignity and respect because I knew deep down every one of them was a child of God. Number three, Elisha watched and a whirlwind came This is on the east side of the Jordan, in modern-day Jordan. They have dust devils there. This hot, hot wind, a whirlwind suddenly came, and Elijah was lifted up to heaven. And Elisha tore his clothes. Our guide in Israel three weeks ago said, we still do that. We tear our clothes. If we're undone by grief, we tear our clothes. One of the movies last year was called Rabbit Hole. Nicole Kidman played the part of a young woman whose little boy has been killed. A little boy playing in the front yard. He suddenly forgot. He darted into the street. A teenage driver hit him and killed him. It's about her dealing with grief, her husband's dealing with grief. She finds every toy, every picture too painful to look at. The husband just wants to be immersed with all these things, toys and movies, videos of this little boy. They're not getting along. And one day she says to her mother, she needs her to come and help her clean out some of the things at the house. And as the mother of this child and the grandmother of this child clean out some of his personal effects, they talk. And it turns out that Nicole Kidman had a brother who died of 30, at 30, heroin overdose. And her mother says, you know, I lost a little boy one time. And Nicole Kidman said, he wasn't a little boy, he was 30, and he overdosed on drugs. And the grandmother said, it hurt just as much. It hurt just as much. And Nicole Kidman said, then how do you deal with that? And she said, when you've lost somebody you love, it's like carrying a brick around in your pocket. It just never goes away. You can't have next generation without older generation dying, moving on. So there's grieving to be done if double portions are to be handed out to the next ones. Number four, Elisha picked up Elijah's mantle. There it was, lying on the ground. Rolled it up and walked down to the river. The movie that won the most awards last Sunday night was The King's Speech. 
based on a true story, of course. Two brothers. In England, you know, they say that royalties should have two boys, an heir and a spare. When William and Harry were born, that's what they were called. Well, we've got an heir and we've got a spare. So these two brothers were considered an heir and a spare. The heir loved to wear expensive clothes. He liked beautiful young women. He liked uh, very masculine, athletic guys as friends of his. He was ready to be king. The younger brother was named Albert. Family called him Bertie. He stuttered. He stuttered. But it was okay. He was just the spare. Until his brother decided to abdicate Edward VIII for a twice-divorced American woman. His physician, as head of the Church of England, just wouldn't permit that for him to continue to be king. He preferred to step down and go away with her to Paris. And suddenly, Albert, Bertie, was about to be king. And he stuttered. 1936, Adolf Hitler's already been in power three years. He can make a speech. The free world needs people who can make a speech. And he can't. So his wife, the Queen Mum, who died just a few years ago, found a rather unorthodox speech therapist from Australia to come and help him. But he also got to meet Winston Churchill, who encouraged him. And he went to see the Archbishop of Canterbury, who said he would pray for him, even though he didn't think much of this therapist he was seeing. He needed him to be a strong pillar for the church, for the country. Three years later, the bombers would come, hitting London night after night after night. They needed somebody who could make a speech. And the movie struck a note with the people who saw it because this man did make a speech. He did make a speech. Elisha picked up that mantle, rolled it up, walked down to the river and struck the waters and crossed over on dry land. And so can 